0: That's not a good. That's great. Good. We, we yeah, had a moment there. It was a moment. <laughs> <Go>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thanks for joining us. We are a podcast that promotes... What do we promote, Andre? Uh, uh,
0: don't put me on the spotlight.
2: There's Misty one. Mountains. It's life in the two kingdoms and the reformed Baptist two kingdoms. To say the magic words. Between You'll the be ages. Yeah. theology. Hashtag Kleinian Baptist. Hashtag we Baptist Kleinians.
1: <laughs> um, Baptist
2: Claptians. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're, uh, we're just hobby horse riders. And... Um, We uh, appeared together recently. We've just been uh, doing this thing together and uh, co-hosting together. Uh, Nick is the pastor of Covenant Grace Baptist Church in Timaru in New Zealand. Uh, And Andre is the pastor of Bethesda Baptist Church in Felixstowe, UK. And I'm the pastor of GraceNet Community Church in Wellington, New Zealand. And the music on this podcast was written by Jeremy Casilla who you might know from Indelible Grace, but we just call him Jer, because we know him. <laughs> but, you know, he writes music dark. for us. Yeah. And uh, that great, great, great hymn, Guide Me O Thou Great Jehovah, is what they did. Uh, that's what you're hearing up front every time. Uh, go listen to them on Spotify. Check us out on yeah. 2Hsojourner.com and rate us and subscribe us and join us for the conversation. And uh, what do you say we kick this one off, guys?
0: that's good.
1: good. All right.
0: Are we doing that every time now? That, that...
1: Do you want me to? It's long, man. No, I think long. it's
0: good. I think it's good.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right. It's good. Thanks. You it's... need to do
0: that. It sounds professional.
1: Okay. Cool. Nice. I thought you were gonna take this opportunity to drag me through the calls.
0: No, I, th- I thought it sounded good. Yeah, um, I see a lot. Put a lot of effort into that. Nick, uh, Nick is disappointed. Me. He thought you were gonna diss <laughs> me.
2: Well, you're finally starting to sound professional. I thought that was a good comment. All right. Good. All right, whatever. Let's <laughs> keep moving. It um, <laughs> you It's like, that's like a great British con- compliment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're, never, you're never quite sure what they mean by it mm-hmm.
1: Alright, so we're talking about baptism still We're talking about Fesco's book, um, Water Word and Spirit, Reform Perspective on Baptism uh, Update on Meredith Klein's argument and really a much more robust version of it uh, And he has his own spin on a few different things He's <clears> done <throat> to see that as we go through And we'll talk about that as we get there <clears throat> Excuse me, and um, we are. I think where, where did we finish, finish off last time? I can't remember.
2: So we finished the Patristic Age, and now we're heading into the Middle Ages. Ah, yes. Okay, Middle Ages, and yeah, it has
1: some important developments here. I think, um, and it's it's really helpful. What we said last time that um, you know, just just a real meat will lie in the next parts of the book where we get into some of the biblical theology. But um, I think just to really cash in on the on the fruit of the study i mean my goodness he, he put in a lot of work uh yeah. that, that's evident and um it's just really helpful that he went went through and even if he is sort of uh, i think towards especially when, when you get uh when you get toward the anabaptist Zwingli stuff you start to see it slanting <laughs> in a certain direction without a doubt but and even here it's happening um, but even so you know for us we um uh, you know, we're basically on board with everything he's looking for anyway. You know, when, when yeah. he wants to see a covenant connection, we want to see it too. So we're thankful that he is able to pull that out of, of the Middle Ages and and start showing where that develops. And, um, you know, really, I think uh, as I read, you know, through the book, you realize just how far we can stay together on this argument. It's quite amazing. It's only yeah. It's only, you know, on those really fine points that we start right. disagreeing. <clears throat> um but okay here we are in the middle ages what do we need to say about this anyone uh, have any uh... well i
2: guess um just to say that systematization is the key thing that's going on yes here. so it's sort of the fine tuning so the basic concepts are still the same mm-hmm. there's still uh, an impartation of grace um but it's it really starts to tweak it and uh the i guess the significance for us coming out of the reformation is that this this sets up the Roman Catholic doctrine, which the Reformers uh, are reacting to. So it's mm. important from that point of view. Totally. So he looks
1: at um, you will, Bonaventure. Oh, You just, also
0: start to yeah. see the, the beginnings of a kind of covenant theology. Um, maybe not like covenant theology. Just but Old Testament references.
2: To,
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah they, they're starting to use, I think Fesco makes the point, they, they're starting to use the whole of Scripture right. to understand baptism, not just baptism texts. text. And I think, yeah. and
1: they at least connected to circumcision for the first time at this point, Yeah. you know, Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, in a, in a consistent way. Um, so that's interesting. And then of course we, I think we did mention last time, you know, you've got the, that, that, Definition of Augustine's concerning the the sacrament that just stays, you know. From from this point on, uh, we all use it in one way or yeah. another uh, and tweak it the way we like it. But uh, essentially, that idea that it's uh, you know a visible sign of an inward um, invisible grace, essentially.
2: Yeah. No good. I mean, he uh, he begins using Peter Lombard, mm-hmm. and Lombard is the if you were a medieval theologian, everyone had to read Lombard. Yes. <clears throat> so Lombard sentences. And uh, he definitely follows uh, the definition of Augustine, of invisible grace. And uh, what he begins to do is just uh, to distinguish sacrament and sign. So there's just a lot more definition going on with broader concepts. Mm -hmm. Now, this is what he says, he says, a sign is the thing beside the species, which it bears upon the senses, causing something else out of itself to come into one's thinking. So, so far, we would be tracking with him and Mm, saying, yep, it's like a visible word, the Mm -hmm. mind's being engaged, the whole visible aspect, sign aspect, Mm -hmm. uh, we'd be in full agreement. Then he goes on to amplify the difference between a sign and a sacrament this way. Therefore, not only for the grace of signifying have the sacraments been instituted, but also for that of sanctifying,
1: Mm.
2: for those things which have only been instituted for the grace of signifying are solely signs and not sacraments mm-hmm. and so uh, he begins to drift in the direction in the in the direction of saying that uh, baptism brings with it the grace to help in sanctification mm-hmm. and he says that in the old testament circumcision did not and here's uh, one of his peculiarities is he says that men were justified by circumcision contra romans 4 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. women were justified through faith and good works because they couldn't be circumcised of course. He tried. <laughs> he,
0: he tried,
2: but failed.
0: It was yeah. going so
1: well. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe
0: he didn't have Galatians. Like maybe he just didn't have it or Romans.
1: Maybe they um, they had Galatians that they sort of translated from the Latin back into the Greek <laughs> or something. You know how they did that? They had all these weird
0: <laughs> yes. you know, yeah. backward Book yeah. of yeah. Revelation. Going. Yeah. There yeah. must be a reason for it. because. Like, he he must just not have, either not have been engaging with the scriptures at all, but that seems bizarre because he's clearly trying to make an exegetical point point. Well, so, and he's you, clearly a sharp dude so he yeah. can't be that incompetent like what's going on there
1: well i think it's so the he, power of of the system you know and and that's that's really uh, the cult the col- context the way we conceive of things you know and the systems that we work within and uh really uh, what we all do to a greater or less extent is we just try and push our system and and uh we don't even think outside of our system and and you know i think that's that's a massive problem for everyone it's obviously particularly pertinent for us as we come at it from this you know mm. not only reform but you know after all of this and and here he is in the middle of it literally the middle ages and um and working with uh this, this tower of a, theo- a theologian before him so yeah mm. i think it's um i think that has something to do mm. with anyway i mean I, who knows it's hard to tell you know what sort of level uh, of uh, genuine... i guess um
2: if, if if you think of the nature of the problem he's he has circumcision he has baptism he's saying they both work in a similar fashion. So that's, mm. that's a big tick for him, isn't it? Right? Because we would recognize that God does work through circumcision in the Old Testament, he does work through baptism in the mm-hmm. New Testament. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there is a good intuition about, you know, the unity between sacraments. Yes. But then he goes haywire right. in he, other directions. Right. So, and think
1: about how much we're leaning on when we don't go haywire. We're, we're leaning on a you know, a biblical <laughs> theological method that really actually has only been fine-tuned, you know, I don't know, two hundred years ago. And yeah. um, and and even, you know, before that you've got your basic sort of performed historical grammatical stuff that, you know, they weren't even really worried about at that point. So yeah, I mean nothing to curtail the the thoughts, nothing to just you know, if, we, we are, if Presbyterian theologians are in danger of flattening things out, I mean, my goodness, try flattening things out with the fourfold allegory method. You know, it's, mm, it's just mm. uh, there's no boundary there. Um, yeah. But, okay, so he hits uh, Lombard and then Bonaventure.
2: Yep, Bonaventure. So Bonaventure is sort of like what he, the, the main thing that he did in terms of developing the ideas around baptism is he wrote a commentary on Lombard sentences, mm. and as you read through what Fesco puts forward, it's you can you can hear the oh even even further fine tuning. Mm-mm. And uh, what he says is that the sacraments are vessels of grace that God blesses to cause grace to infuse the soul. Yeah, interesting. Okay, and then just just listen to these categories now. Here's here's where the uh, the various Aristotelian categories come through. He mm-hmm. says this: um, the efficient cause of the grace is God's institution. Uh So the fact that God institutes it, that's the efficient cause. Uh The material cause is the representation through sensible signs. Uh So the material cause of grace infusing the souls, this is the the visible aspects. Uh The formal cause is sanctification through grace. This is the thing that it causes. And the final cause is the healing of mankind through a proper medicine. So that's the ultimate goal that it's pushing towards. Totally. So, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> wow. he's he's really he can he's using categories. I mean, yep. we would we would want to uh, dispute some of those with him, but well, he's definitely trying to think it through. And you know, I, I'm
1: kind of jumping the gun a little bit here in that um, this is probably better left for a roundup, but but really, I mean, as you hear him talk, you're seeing the issue, which I think is probably the definitive issue of this period. And that's that they're processing in terms of ontology rather than in terms of, you know, a covenantal soteriology that we would use. And so just even those categories, they're all flowing from, you know, places we wouldn't even conceive of at this point. Um, And and that explains a lot of, you know, again, coming back to your comment, just uh, the the bizarre sort of nature of some of these conclusions. Um, But, uh, you know, it's interesting because you hear him talk this way. And if you just replace ontology with a covenantal soteriology, it immediately makes it that much more palatable, you know. When he talks about a sanctifying grace, I mean, we're okay with that as long as we don't mean, you know, the infused ontological change and, uh, you know, the that uh, that they would have in mind. Um, and so you can see how it's all providing the language and the fodder for what what will later happen with this doctrine yeah. Um, yeah. as they systematize this thing and, and try and work it out at a greater detailed level.
2: Now, just in terms of the methodology of baptism. He says this, for anyone to be validly and fully baptized, uh, the form established by the Lord must be said aloud. He says, I baptize thee in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. No word should be omitted, none added, nor should the order be changed. So you can't say Father, Spirit, Son or Spirit, Father, Son. In order for it to be a legit baptism you have to no. follow the trinitarian he did formula. get me thinking about it i was like oh how have i done it I <laughs> well here's a question for you guys i don't know if you guys have thought of this but there isn't one example of a trinitarian baptism in the book of acts yeah i know you know it's the being baptized baptism. into the name of the lord jesus I christ know. or calling on the name of the lord yeah. and uh i was speaking to a charismatic friend um the guy who's a lay preacher a really good guy mm-hmm. and he says well lord Jesus Christ is the Trinity, you see, because you've got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right. and I'm like, oh, that's a bit <laughs> oh, of a stretch. Wow. But um, he's just trying to make the two meet. And it's it's interesting to me how insistent uh, the Trinitarian formula, <clears throat> yeah, how insistent <throat> everyone was. Mm. Whereas uh, that's maybe that be, was the later institution And I personally, I practice it. Mm. But uh, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, it does have that obviously, that biblical basis in in the commission. Yeah, but yeah, <clears throat> so it's not, yeah. But it is true that you know, because I was thinking about you know, we, we touched on that, that Catholic priest who found out his baptism was, right. um, we, was well, they, instead of you. Yeah, it was a dead baptism, <laughs> I, and we. Yeah, exactly. And it was because of that. And um, and so you're into that kind of you know that mm. all about the rites, all about the ritual, um, and and I guess you know whereas you know I would say that if someone is You know, uh, baptized in in a Trinitarian way, I'd I'd still say that would be proper. But if someone was just baptized into the name of Christ, I don't think that I would call that a dead baptism.
1: Well, you know what? Now I probably would, because of the oneness Pentecostal deal and that the fact that it becomes a a theological insistence on their part to deny the Trinity as we uh, conceive of it. So, you know, if if someone has been baptized that way, I would immediately, you know, want to know more. Um, and usually, every yeah. time, every single time I have inquired, it's always been because of a denial of the Trinity. Or, so, right, yeah, you know, well, yeah. yeah.
0: And I think just in well, light in that of that case, th- definitely. But, you know, assuming all things equal, would you really say that if someone, if the formula you used was baptize you into Jesus Christ, would you say that's that's a invalid
2: baptism? Well,
1: I think I think I probably would. Yeah.
2: yeah. Really? Yeah. But I you think go- I would. So you'd allow pouring in the name of the Trinity, but you wouldn't allow immersion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah,
1: mode is definitely not as important as the actual uh, verbatim commission. I mean, yeah, yeah, you have the whole thing. Here's what you need to go do. Baptize them.
2: Immerse and... them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, so in mercy you can make a great <laughs> argument for pouring, you know. And in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. So as long as you're doing one of those things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, you know, you're good. But I think. But to, how
0: do you how do you account then for for the lack of explicit formula in Acts? Well, like, it's, it's, I know that it's not it's everything in Acts is normative and whatever. But yeah. But but then we'd be going long and saying it's not even it's not
2: even yeah, saying it, it's not even it's, it's, giving
1: you a full description it's abbreviated it's a very abbreviated. A, it's a, you know it's it's theological code it's like speaking of <clears throat> of of the cross you know wanting to no. know nothing but the cross you know you, i guess
2: you would expect it if it was that one distinctive thing you would expect it to be front and center but it just isn't.
0: Maybe we would.
1: That might be anachronism, though, because you know we have to keep in mind the Christological heresies and all that sort of thing, and the triune formulas became so important as a result of those wrong insistences, you know, happening down the line. And I just think, you know, even that aside, you know, even if we were to just process this in a kind of vacuum, you know, because of the reality of church history and just the way it has tended, to, you know, to play out, and because of the the, the radical importance of those confessions and that theology that's now been, you know, forged in the fires of, of those many heresies, um, you know, now it's just that much more important for us to be able to, you know, be able to stake out our claim on that Trinitarian ground, um, and and then also, you know, like I said, I th- but this wouldn't just be our our day; it would be almost, um, you know, I mean, what three hundred onwards that that you'd have to insist almost, in light of anyone yeah. else who didn't, you know, baptize in the name of the Trinity. There was something going on there. And, I guess
2: um, I've come across a lot of situations where you've had people from charismatic backgrounds. Mm. They, they are fully Trinitarian, but their yep. dad took them out to the pool in the backyard. See, mm. That's another thing. That's, and, another, that's a whole uh, other story so right it's, there. it's not in the church. It yeah. wasn't in the name of the Trinity in any deliberate sense, but it was a, I'm trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I'm doing this in obedience to Him. Mm. Yeah, and I guess that is. I wouldn't exactly re-baptize. I wouldn't baptize that person. Yeah. Really? See, so, you now mm. we actually
1: catch that in our in our membership form. You know, we're like, w- "Were you baptized by your dad in the in, in the bathtub?"
2: No.
1: <laughs> Seriously, and 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 um and you know we talk at least talk about it at least to try oh, we, and you know. We, figure we talk it out.
2: about it, and I say, "Look, this is not ideal. This is you know the the church, the elders' hands. There's this, the church is receiving you into its own communion, and and mm. you know." All that stuff is true. But, but yeah, um, I agree
1: insofar as, uh, so just, uh, you know, in, to- in talking about a principle that we're looking at here, which is quite important, I think, one way or another, whether it comes yeah. down to mode or some, some other irregularity, yeah. uh, really one of the things I think that we have to be able to process well is, has the thing, you know, because irregularities are going to happen, right? You can yeah. put, put pull this right into the the normative sort of traditional Baptist approach. Let's say you, <laughs> you, you baptized a guy perfectly. Right. Let's say this happens, you know, in terms of what you deem to be the, this perfect baptism. There he is, Trinitarian, congregation is there, everything's happening. Immersed. Yeah. Immersed, the whole deal. And then the next day he, you know, he, he reckons he's not a Christian, so he, he leaves church. Right. And then, you know, he comes back a year later. Are you going to re-baptize him?
2: All depends on the conversation. Right. So it's, let's say it's, say it's not a given that I would re-baptize him. Totally, And I think, you know, all I'm trying
1: to highlight here is that there are always going to be, even in the best yeah. case scenarios, yeah. um, uh, irregularities that you have to work with. And I think that you, to, to try and find where the principle lies for those ir- irregularities and what is acceptable in that ir- irregular scope, I suppose, uh, that yeah. becomes super important. Because, I mean, you know, they, it's almost like that is the whole key right there. If the thing is so messed up that, that it's not irregular, it's actually unrecognizable. That's yeah. when I. That's when I... Say, okay, well, listen, we've got to do this thing again, you know. So, um, you know, what does that look like exactly? Well, I suppose people would, <laughs> people would debate that uh, as well, but yeah. you know, I put think... your
2: comments uh, down below. <clears throat> exactly, exactly. Well, uh, let's carry on looking at what uh, Thomas Bonaventure Pines. says about oh, okay. mode. Yeah, he says, um, there must also be immersion or ablution of the whole body or at least of its most noble part, he means the head. Mm -hmm. by means of the element of water so not sand or grape juice or whatever yeah in such a way that the immersion and the vocal expression the baptismal formula are performed simultaneously by one and the same minister so now he's getting pretty specific here isn't he Mm -hmm. This 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 is quite particular bonaventure prefers immersion and shortly after this statement he stipulates that threefold immersion represents the death burial and resurrection of christ <laughs> Might as well throw a face clap in there. <laughs> Although he teaches baptism saves, post-baptism failures or not being taught can cause salvation not to be realized. So... Hmm. He's he's not going quite ex opere operato in the full-blown sense. Mm-hmm. He's still he's he's still got some some disclaimers in there that post-baptismal failures, in mm-hmm. other words, turning away from the Lord, apostasy and so on, mm-hmm. and not really understanding what you're doing, will fail to realize salvation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's Bonaventure. Wow.
0: So he's clearly operating within a framework where <clears throat> Baptism is both doing something, but not doing something final. So, you know, that's all all present. There's no sort of the Augustinian, you know, pre-Calvinism uh, isn't really bearing as much of a, a weight on on these guys, would you say?
2: Um, I'll just expand on that further.
0: So I guess what I'm saying is that he's, he's anticipating that uh, there, you know, there's quite a lot of there's quite a lot of the kind of grace and nature stuff coming together It sounds like it's almost building up to what Aquinas where Aquinas is going to go And it sounds less like Augustine and his view of like the sovereignty of God and in, in, in salvation At this point so the kind of idea that you're baptized in but then you fall away So I'm just wondering if he is actually starting I think, to move. I think
2: technically
0: that's probably
2: that's probably exactly Augustine. away from Augustine. So Augustine believed that you you could get baptized and you could fall away, even though you were predestined. That's one of the inconsistencies in Augustine's own view. And that's where Lutheranism has picked up on Augustine. Right. Okay, okay. So, so in one sense, that's, he might be 100% oh, okay. Augustinian. <laughs> True Augustine, yeah. right? Okay, interesting. Not, not, yeah. not fake or <clears throat> Protestant Augustine. <laughs> yeah, not 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 yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Reformed Augustine. That's exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right, uh, Thomas Aquinas. All right. So he, he, of course, is the pinnacle of medieval scholastic thought. Mm-hmm. Once again, Aquinas follows Augustine, so there's the shadow of Augustine falling over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. He taught that there was no inherent power in the sacrament, but had its power by virtue of its divine institution. So mm. these are just these are just little nuances by which you know if you just accuse everyone of a flat ex opera operato, mm. No, hang on a sec, guys. Mm. There's nuance here. These mm. guys are not just crediting the water as magical.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, so anyone who comes with that sort of critique just doesn't know the history. Um, and then it's also true that whatever is established
1: here, no matter how dominant in the Middle Ages, it's just not what's going on now, anyway. You know. Exactly.
2: Uh, and so no, even by the it's, time it's building on a wrong foundation, and they built really tall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a good way to put it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So he says, um, so there were sacraments in the Old Testament, but they were shadows and had less power. So Aquinas explains that baptism derives its justifying power from Christ himself and specifically the power of his passion. Now, this is quite a unique thing where uh, we would talk about justification not being the result of Christ's passion um, in the sense of uh, from his sufferings, but Uh, the resurrection would play a key part. Romans 4 verse 25. So there's, we've got a a more developed view of justification which Aquinas is not reflecting. Mm. And then uh, Thomas bases the cleansing, regenerating and justifying power of baptism uh, on his understanding of John 3 verse 5, being baptized by water and spirit. And in this vein, he approvingly cites a passage from a sermon by John Chrysostom, which reads, when we dip our heads under the water as in a kind of tomb, our old man is buried, and being submerged is hidden below, and thence he rises again renewed. because baptism is a regeneration, it cannot be repeated. so there's that's the basic theology of Aquinas' view, mm, and of course good. he did he did lay the foundation for how all seven sacraments were baptism, mm. that initial mm. uh, cleansing and removing of of, of guilt, and it mm. was the mark. And then uh, it's uh, it's an implanted grace where if we cooperate with it uh, we produce works of love which justify us and when we lose that justification we need to renew it through penance and partaking of the lord's supper and then there's confirmation and marriage and all the other stuff stuff gets added to it
1: Mm, mm, good
0: so the whole business about
2: baptism being regenerating but also
0: you can fall away from it but also you can't repeat it i think does mean that you have to have another system in place to handle what happens when people
2: do seem to fall away yeah but then sort of come back yeah so penance confession Lord's supper that's where all that stuff comes in the whole system yeah
0: Yeah, because we 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 too have to deal with people who make professions of faith are baptized and then seem to fall away and then come back but Mm -hmm. because we don't see baptism as you know regeneration it's yeah. it's less of a kind of theological problem for us. in, in it says it's easier to explain. Mm. But, you know, if you're falling away from regeneration, but you can't be re-regenerated,
2: then what what's going on? <laughs> brutal,
1: brutal.
2: Exactly. Because yeah. yeah. I mean, we I mean that as we look at regeneration, we don't just see mm-hmm. it as life. We see it as new creation life. We bring the eschatological lens mm. to regeneration, don't we? Mm-hmm. So the nature mm-hmm. of the life that we receive is the same nature of life that Christ was resurrected with. That life can never perish. That life can never be rubbed out. That life can never die. Mm-hmm. So we already we are already tasting new creation reality, even in the regeneration that we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, that 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 filter is just not being no, applied here. No, and that that's a
1: good point to to just uh, spell out what we were saying earlier because he, he summarizes it very well. I think he says this implies you know, all these things we've been talking about. They start implying a covenantal caste, but they leave yeah. that, th- that thread undeveloped. You know? And I think that's a great mm. way to put it. It's there. It's somehow connected to baptism, uh, at least um, the circumcision, et cetera. Um, but uh, they developed it, their view in terms of ontology rather than in terms of uh, covenants. And, um, and what he also says here is that, uh, where is it now, um, for Lombard, Bonaventure, and Aquinas, the water of baptism functions instrumentally to create an ontological change in the one who is baptized. So, you know, yeah. at the risk of overgeneralizing, coming back to your point earlier, I mean, that's basically what they're, what they're on about. And this sets the precedent for, for Trent and, um, and the counter-reformation. So maybe that's a good place for us to uh, swing into thinking a little bit about Trent.
2: Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, Fesco, in his book, and maybe you felt the jump, (laughs) we know that Trent comes after Luther. Right. Um, So, he jumps over the Reformation, and the reason he does that is he wants to show the continuity of thought between the medieval era and how it comes to the grand climax um, in in Trent. So, Trent's important from that point of view that it's, if we were in total agreement with the foundational premises of the patristic era, Mm. Trent is the... Capstone, logical yeah. conclusion. Yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah. where you want to go.
0: Yeah, I found that helpful. So often, That's good. Yeah, because so often Trent is is caricatured as merely a response to the Reformation, like an overreaction. Yeah, but it it, it isn't. You know that isn't fair to it. It is actually there it's is a, a true continuity. Portrayal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
2: so I mean, what Pesco does is uh, he he has a lot of quotes from. Uh, the Council of Trent, which I always love hearing because it just blows my mind (laughs) how contrary they are to what we understand the gospel to be. uh, But uh, the Council pronounces an anathema on any who deny that baptism removes the guilt of original sin in adults and children. And uh, in the sixth session on the Doctrine of Justification, the, the Council elaborates on its causes, explaining that the final cause is the glory of God, Christ, and eternal life. The efficient cause... Of justification is the god of mercy who of his free will washes and sanctifies his people so there's a sovereign god of grace mm-hmm. in the roman catholic theology placing his seal on them and anointing them with the promised holy spirit <clears throat> so the trinity is involved mm-hmm. the meritorious cause is god's son so they're crediting christ's death on the cross as uh, the meritorious cause who merited justification for god's people that's the sort of language you know we as protestants could happily endorse the one formal cause is the righteousness of God. Baptism, however, is the instrumental cause, mm. which is the sacrament of faith, without which justification comes to no one. Mm, mm. So they are, as he says, codifying
1: Augustine's view of justification <laughs> and and baptism. You know that's yeah. basically what's happening. They're just
2: taking those themes and they're just codifying it. Yep. And um, yeah, yep. <clears throat> and so, uh, more quotes. If anyone says that the sacraments of the new law—don't don't you love the way they call uh, the new covenant the new law? It's just wow. <laughs> all gospel distinctions out the window. If anyone says well, we're the sacram- still the law of
0: Christ, isn't it? We're still doing that in in, uh, <laughs> in new covenant theology. It's yeah. still the same demarcation, isn't it?
2: Uh, I think talking they about the would, law of Moses and the law of Christ. Well, I mean, the law of Christ is the way of saying the way of the Spirit. It's they don't mean law, in it's until you know, in the full body. Yeah, itself. but the
0: language of 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 describing the covenant, you know, the different covenants, is law.
2: I mean, you would you would. I mean, if we're
1: going to talk law, it's going to be law and gospel. You know, it's going yeah. to be that's going to be the relationship. You know, yeah. it's see, like I
2: think a, New Covenant theology when they say the law of Christ, it's. As opposed to the ten commandments yeah um, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's the replacement so we can do away with the sabbath mm. um it's the thing yeah. that's written on the well heart if that's what they so... meant by new law that would be right like that would be a bit though well
0: that would be better um you know as in well not as opposed to the ten commandments but as yeah. opposed to the to the, the mosaic covenant system yeah if they meant a new law which was one that arose out of grace rather than the other trouble other is realm. they just
2: don't have the law grace distinction Listen yeah, to this first. exactly sentence. If anyone says that the sacraments of the new law do not contain the grace which they signify. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> mm. they're just they're just they're messing up the categories. It's, it's, which it's,
1: it's think... the it's the hash, bro. It's like it's been totally <laughs> fused, you know. The um,
2: Yeah, <laughs> the glassful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Or do not confer that grace on those who place no obstacle in the way, as if they were only external signs of grace or justice received by faith and some kind of mark of Christian profession by which believers are distinguished from unbelievers in the eyes of people, let him be anathema hmm.
1: so how many times can you get anathematized in
2: one oh, reading, oh. it's just whew. it's a lot, it's a it's lot. lot a, lot, so, a, lot, so, of a lot of times so there, I mean, Zwinglian and Protestant views were probably in the crosshairs there but um,
0: so, Nick, can you just go back and break it down, because I, I think there is a a sense to which some of this I mean, I mean we will we'll go back and talk about even this in terms of Lombard and Bonaventure and all those guys um, and even Aquinas there's a sense in which I can hear what they say and if I sort of take it slightly out of context I can say yeah okay I, I guess I could kind of go along with that yeah
2: the um, so they use all of our categories they well, just answer.
1: Yeah. yeah, if you ditch the ontology and you change it with covenant, it's like perfect language.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, because I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff we'd be happy with. Because, I mean, there's they credit God as the power. They credit the Son as the meritorious cause. They credit, credit the Spirit as being the power. They recognize the need for Christ's, uh, you know, dying on the cross. It's just as it all gets applied sub, you know, as a substance yes, and not to yeah. correct a relationship. Mm, there's no forensic um, yeah. category. Yeah, yeah exactly. the forensic yeah. category is missing. So. Mm. Yeah,
0: but and, I, and, and and I think I that's, this, that's yeah. I, um, I read the story and I thought, I thought to myself, it's true that it does seem to be focusing more on a kind of Zwinglian thing, which I don't hold to. So, yeah. the, in a sense, I did, I did feel like the anathemas weren't really directed at me. Like I think I, I sort
2: of got wounded by them. But it wasn't was't the
0: kind of fatal headshot in
2: that, well, uh, in that I would sense. deny that baptism is the instrumental cause, <laughs> and that would make me anathema, so right mm. it is yeah. the instrumental cause, yes yeah so, the, so yeah,
0: yeah, but again, like, like yeah, I mean I agree i, I, I all the reformers
2: I, would be nailed by that one, yeah, mm. yeah.
0: Yes. including uh, i mean I, I, yeah.
2: You are anathematized, bro. Sorry to tell you. <laughs> Just accept it. You're
1: not
0: Roman Catholic. <laughs> well, well, I'm not. But I, I, what I was trying to work out was whether or not there was a sense in which, given the way that vatican, Vatican's vatican gone. And again, if you listen to, um, what's his name, the the evangelical Roman Catholic guy, a Roman Catholic scholar, uh, Leonardo de Chirico, um,
1: Okay. He says,
0: he describes Vatican II just the same way Trent arises out of continuity with that medieval thinking. Um, Vatican II also arises, it's, it's, it's not a break from, from Catholic thinking. In his point of view, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a full flowering of, you know, it's, it's very much in continuity. But the way that Vatican goes in terms of its understanding on who's anathematized is very different. Yeah, And so I do wonder if, if there is a sense in which it's more the kind of radical reformers, more the, more the Zwinglians who were, in fact, in the crosshairs. And well, so they, we might be caught out by some of the language, but not as severely. No,
2: every, everyone was in the crosshairs. And what's interesting is if you read the intro to the Catholic Catechism, 1995, where it was, uh, who was the last Pope? Benedict? Benedict, yeah. Yeah, he wrote the foreword. And he 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 articulates there that the the reason that, so the catechism is in substance the same as as Trent, but mm-hmm. because it's done pastorally and not polemically, it doesn't have all of those anathemas. And so it's it's all it does is, is it aims at stating the case positively, without that whole negative. We need to counter reform.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so you know as you scratch below, you know as you get as you dig deep down, the doctrine hasn't substantially uh, changed.
0: No, no, no. I, yeah. I, 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 agree. It hasn't changed.
2: Yeah.
0: I just wondered if. I wondered if the the yeah the, the it was more just clarified. But yeah, I take yeah. your point.
2: righty. So uh, just carrying on here. Uh, Fesco says this. Trent also defends infant baptism. So here's the here's hmm. Trent's view on infant <clears throat> baptism. If anyone says that little children, because they make no act of faith should not, after the reception of baptism, be numbered among the faithful, and that therefore, when they reach the age of discretion, they should be re-baptized, or that it is better that their baptism be omitted than that they be baptized while believing not, by their own faith, but by the faith of the church alone, let him be anathema. Oh, so there
0: you go. <laughs> um, just to clarify, because when they say the, the, ba- the infants baptized be numbered among the faithful,
2: yeah. Just to clarify, they're not giving them the Lord's Supper, though, are they? They're not no. giving them communion. No, they have confirmation as one of their seven sacraments. Yeah. But but they're even, not even really with that, how does it work?
1: There's this whole thing with communion that's so different in that. Uh, how's it working again? No, I'm not up to, um, I'm not feeling refreshed on this, but it was, uh, it's not that everyone just comes in, you know, um, does everyone get the wafer or did they change that at some time? You know I think it was only oh. the priest that drinks or something like that. Yeah. Like, Vatican II uh, brought, so
2: one of
0: them
1: yeah yeah
2: Vatican II brought about the the a substantial change in terms of universally uh giving access to both elements and moving from Latin into right that's what common I was thinking languages. yeah because
1: yeah. I mean you know they didn't even view I mean the priesthood was essentially the church you believed implicitly through their faith yeah. and it was yeah it was crazy mm. it's just so different you know so to even yeah. ask the question of of how infants fit into that rubric is already just You know, so different from the way we would process it. on the wrong door. Yeah. 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 Um, So, essentially, I think, uh, did you have anything more you wanted to say about the...
2: Well, I just had one more uh, quote from Fesco, which I thought was useful. Mm -hmm. Um, So, this is looking at the Catechism of the Council of Trent, which is often a little bit more easy to understand. Mm -hmm. And uh, with regards to the definition of baptism... Although many can be given from the sacred writers, nevertheless, that which may be gathered from the words of our Lord, recorded in John and the apostle to the Ephesians appears the most appropriate and suitable. Unless, says our Lord, a man be born again of water and the Holy Ghost, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And speaking of the church, the apostle says cleansing it by the labor of water in the word of life. Thus, it follows that baptism may be rightly and accurately defined. The sacrament of regeneration by water in the Word. Hmm. By nature, we are born from Adam, children of wrath, but by baptism, we are regenerated in Christ, children of mercy. For He gave power to men to be made sons of God, to them that believe in His name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So they take that as a baptism text. Right. But you know what? I like
1: it. That's the best part of the whole argument thus far for me, You know, in that it's just stuck to a text. It's interpreting in a certain way. You know, at yeah. least you can sort of relate to it at that angle. It's not—it's not, it's not um, you know—you might disagree as to what they're actually, you know, arguing for there, <clears throat> but it's arguing out of a text. It's—it's—it's it's, it's, uh, identifiable, you know, in, yeah. in that it's uh, connected to the text they're arguing with, and um, and I think that's that's kind of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the,
2: the hermeneutical methodology is John 3's paradigm. You've yeah. Got to be born of water and spirit. Mm. So then every time it talks about being born of God. That means baptized. Right, exactly. Yeah. So if John 3, verse 3 to 5 is your doorway where you collapse baptism with the spiritual birth, mm. every time it mentions regeneration, every time it mentions born of God, it's obviously talking about baptism. Totally, yeah. And that's, that's, that's the left turn <laughs> right there. And then, and then just is, one, one last sorry, thing. It's, yeah. uh, six effects from baptism. Mm-hmm. This is the Council of Trent. Okay. The remission of sin, of all punishment due to sin. The grace of regeneration, infused virtues and union with Christ, the donation of Christian character, and the opening of the gates of heaven. So infused virtues, union with Christ, donation of Christian character, and the opening of the gates of heaven. Baptism equips the Catholic with everything for salvation, forgiveness, inner renovation, and infusion for progress in justification. So baptism sets you up so that you can now justify yourself yeah my, my, my well question. doesn't it more justify you <laughs> uh, so the, that the first plank of justification is received in baptism it's the removal of the guilt and pollution of original yeah. sin but it's also the implanting of of a grace with which you cooperate, a grace that enables you yeah Yeah, and as you cooperate with that 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 grace and you produce works of love those works of love God pronounces as righteous so he doesn't pronounce the righteousness of Christ righteous he pronounces your works produced by his enabling as righteous and that's what justifies you but
0: it's not so much that you you are now equipped to justify yourself it's that you're justified and that you have to and you're equipped to not fall from that but then there's also a means provided if you do fall from it, so well, it's more it's, like you're trying to maintain, and you're now equipped to maintain your state of justification
2: isn't well. That's very monogistic of you. I think it's more semi-Pelagian than that. <laughs> okay, well, no, I'm just yeah. saying because you
0: have to do something with the language of you know justified by baptism. Justification happens at baptism and yes. continues to happen. And so what happens one. is you
2: you you experience justification, and then you fall from that justification, yeah. and you renew it through penance. The Lord's yeah. Supper and the other sacraments. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I guess going back on that argument, the first, the first thing is they
0: they hinge, like you say, everything on on John three, um, and the baptism. It, it, you know, you must be born of water and spirit, and they take water to be baptism, yeah. but I take it that's not how we take it. <laughs> so <laughs> no. so, so I, am I right in thinking you're also thinking there's an Ezekiel reference there? And that it's the the kind of it's two ways of talking about the same act of regeneration
2: <laughs> yes i mean uh, i think they have a very flat approach where everything is just water and everything is just baptism where the water of the word um, is the washing ability of the gospel the gospel makes us clean um so because the word in that context is not the old and new testament it's mm. it's it's the gospel
0: yeah yeah <laughs> So it's kind of like they have that's a great that's a great ring
2: not aliens, just my
0: phone <laughs> <laughs> but I take it say so like they've just taken you know water and spirit and they've basically merged it into one, but with water being the main sort of thing there so the the born of spirit happens when you're born of water but i but actually, I think the the born of spirit and born of water is, like you say, talking about the gospel. And if you go back to is it Ezekiel 36, mm, there's the reference yeah, yeah. to... Sprinkled
2: with clean water, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's the reference to being, you know, regenerated by the Spirit and cleansed by the water in the same
2: renewing act. Mm. And so, it, you know, it seems almost certain, like, that's the reference there. But um, no, no, for sure. And it's interesting. I think Luther, you know, the, the water and the Word, mm. yeah, he keeps... Too close a relationship he doesn't quite you know i think it's called truman who said that luther was merely a late medieval theologian mm-hmm. um and i think that's 100 true yeah 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 the other thing i was going to say is okay so, so so
0: far the one thing that's been all the way through is that grace is much more than a symbol but actually does do something right yeah I mean, sorry baptism baptism is more than a symbol That actually does do something. Grace comes to us through baptism. And in in the way that I've just stated it, I'm okay with that language, Mm -hmm. but I obviously mean something very different by it to Mm -hmm. what they mean. Mm -hmm. So my question is, to what extent can we talk about baptism as a means of grace? What do we actually mean by that?
1: Well, I suppose we'll get there, full flower, yeah, you know, as we, <laughs> as we, um, you know, as we go past this into Reformation, which is really the big yeah. subject of debate, with Zwingli and, um, you know, his his view and how that, you know, went over with Kelvin and 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 um, and even Luther's view. I mean, wow, it's so interesting. Luther yeah. was, Luther, yeah. you know, he was a late medieval guy, but he was just uh, what a great theologian. You know, just reading yeah. through his, he's so so creative. <laughs> You know? and so so wow! Just uh, you know, even if you don't agree with it, you just got to be impressed with what he did. I mean, it's yeah. very nuanced, very, very. It all works together. I've always been impressed by. The way all of Lutheranism works together, you know, um, don't agree with half of it, but I just can't help but but, <laughs> it but is be consistent. impressed, yeah, with its <laughs> consistency and the way it just has covered every angle, Um and it, you know, it leaves the mystery where it needs to be left. It's very good, so I'm looking forward to talking to, talking about Luther as well, um, and then and then that question that you just raised, I think, is the yeah. question really, you know, I it,
0: think so too, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's
2: key, absolutely key. It, and really, just, for- it
0: just, I just thought it might be helpful to because if if someone's reading through like church history and they're yep. reading through the early fathers and they're reading through medieval. You know, the ten, the temptation I think coming out of it is this all sounds so Catholic that you just kind of reject it all um, wholesale and then you almost instinctively favor a more Zwinglian approach, which isn't necessarily the right, you know, it's, it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And so I I wondered if it would be good to just for a moment affirm what we can about it about the, you know, the, the kind of means of grace language that I, I, I can in. give a
2: short answer. So because we separate faith and salvation from baptism, because we see someone believing and then giving a credible confession, we then baptize them. We would recognize that God's regenerating grace is not linked to their baptism. So when they get baptized, what grace are they receiving? Are they receiving the grace of regeneration? We have to say no, because you only get regenerated once. And so then um, the sign and the thing signified, what is the nature of the blessing that they receive when they're being baptized? Well, uh, we can discuss this further, but I think it would be the same as if you were listening to a sermon. It would be the same as if you were listening to the Lord's Supper. It's that which is Christ's being made yours by the Spirit of Christ. All of his benefits being made yours through the visible word, whether it's the heard word, the seen word, whether it's Lord's Supper or baptism. And uh, as you are fed upon the resurrection life of Christ, you're conformed into his image, changed from one degree of glory into another. Um, So I think there is the intellectual side where there's an assurance of salvation, which moves the heart and causes obedience and causes you to grow in gratitude and As you respond to the gospel in that way, that causes all uh, an important aspect of growth. But I think there's also an internal hidden spiritual growth, which we would call sanctification. Mm. So my understanding is that um, however you measure or quantify that, Mm. (laughs) which is mysterious and impossible, well, that would be the, my understanding of the nature of the blessing. And there's the understanding, there's faith, there's the word, there's mm. the spirit using the word in the heart, mm. and the vis- and, and the sacrament playing the role of a visible word, mm. um, in the hands of the spirit. To take all of that and maybe just try and tighten
1: up on it and crisp it uh, a little bit. Um, I've, the best definition I've ever heard on this. Because I think it is because one of the big things I fight is that, you know, I'm, we're not Baptist Union. We're not, you know, just even Reformed Baptists that, that are just memorial in their view. And we are sacramental. It's something that we do affirm. We do see the, the administration of the sacraments. And so it's, it's an important question for me, I, I, even in terms of Reformed identity and seeing that continuity go on. Um, the best definition I've ever heard is from Brandon Jones. He did his PhD with uh, Miller and, and Haken. And um, nice. uh, it's called Waters of Promise. If you didn't want to get it, I think you can get it for like 13 bucks on Kindle. Um, but it's, it's just an incredibly good, robust look at the whole thing. And, uh, and he defines it this way. He says, the covenantal view of baptism states that the Spirit graciously uses baptism as a confirming sign and seal of a believer's initiation into the new covenant, thereby strengthening his or her consciousness of that salvation. And I think that, that's the key, the consciousness of salvation. That's what we're talking about, ultimately. You're being, and that's that, That's why I feel like, even though that's an agreeable definition to pedo they can't actually yeah. practice that. Because, you know, it's, yeah. it's in your submersion into the water that the, the, the thing actually cements your consciousness yeah. or strengthens it. And so in that strengthening of your own consciousness of what God has promised uh, is where the strengthening and the grace lies. It's like it is truly, to come back to Luther's thing, like a, a visible word in that sense. It, the difference is you're actually hearing the word in your senses. You're not just, um, yep. you know, taking his word for it, you know. And, um, and I think that's, that's huge.
2: Yeah, I'd love to drill down into the consciousness part. But yeah, wait.
1: Yeah, ex- exactly. No, that's exactly what we have to do. Um, and and even just I yeah, like that.
2: That's really good.
1: Also, just to bring in the the real presence thing as well, because you know yeah. you've got to think about that and <laughs> and um, and Calvin's view. I think you know yeah. how does that play into that?
2: Yeah, I mean, Calvin we, we, uh, was just. I was enthralled as I read on Calvin's view because mm-hmm. oh, there's just so much. It's like oh, this is I can just almost completely relax. And then hang you on, there's a yeah. this little drawback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. he does have something that happens in baptism at the point of baptism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he yeah. calls it a seed. Mm. There's a seed thing going on. Mm. Okay, and uh, Fesco tries to show how the seed is not the same as Roman Catholicism, but he actually doesn't quite explain the problem of the seed <laughs> it still sits there as this glaring issue Damn. and uh that's it's a big it's a big flaw in calvin's approach but we'll get there when we get cool. there.
1: well i think that should be next I, mean, I don't know we might spend the whole no session we got
2: lutheran as a man and then anabaptists and zwingli oh true then,
1: I about, yeah yeah we got yeah, the anabaptists that's true although um, man the anabaptists wow what a disaster oh, that fun. was
2: yeah i mean they, they're making it up they're just like making it up
1: He's he's painting them in a bad light too, you know why the Anabaptists suck so bad? Because the because the freaking reformers killed them. That's why
0: they killed, <laughs> they all, killed all the <laughs> good guys, <laughs> left them without leadership.
1: So there's that. Anyway, yeah. all right, that's a good happy place to leave it on. And yeah. um, uh, do you want to sing? Do you want to sing uh, "Misty Mountains" to to play out, man? No?
2: I think you should sing it this time. Me by, yeah, by, by just myself. Solo. Yeah.
1: yeah, I, I appreciate yeah. the gesture, guys. <sighs> <laughs> Far over. <laughs> He's
0: like that one guy who doesn't jump in the pool along with everybody else. Uh, Just waiting, waiting on the edge. Hang yeah. On. Get in the pool and go all the way under. I have one more question, though. Do, I, do we have time for one more question? No, really.
2: Question. I've got a Come question. But why do you have icons it's my window into heaven <laughs> Hang <on there>. yeah <laughs> exactly all right speaking
1: of juju well, we go. I'm... can you hear that no oh is it not coming through
0: I felt like I felt like that was significant somehow.
2: The juju is strong with you, brother. Uh,
0: if, any, if anyone wanted to donate to me, a Kelvin one, you know, I stick it up there, no problem. I'm trying. <laughs>
1: <know>, <laughs> I'm trying to work with the juju yet. One second. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think on my
0: feet. I'm trying to think. On I my feel feet. like we're losing the moment, Mike. <laughs> <laughs>